I'm also in a really good mood um, because we're starting a new series. And I love to start a new series because I have ADHD. And so when the old series gets kind of boring for me, then I'm like, all right, let's move on to the next thing. What can we do uh, to, to really pepper this up? So um, that's why you'll never see like an 18-week series on the, the book of Jonah uh, at this church because I just, I just don't have the, the bandwidth to process the book of Jonah for 18 weeks. Um, more power to the people that do, but I, I, just, I just can't do it. So we're in a new series, and it's also very exciting because this is the first ever vision series that Hyphen is doing. And I'm going to explain a little bit about what a vision series is um, for those of you that don't know it, and maybe some do know it and have been through one before at a different church or not. But we are, um, we're a young church. We're just, we're still in that newborn stage. We're learning to walk on our own. We're a bit wobbly still. Um, we're putting things in our mouth that we shouldn't be. Um, but we're kind of in that stage right now, that kind of like, I don't know what to do with you. Um, and so we, when we're fresh, when we're young, when we're new, we want to develop vision. And we don't want to do vision on the very first day because sometimes you just don't know what your vision is. You just don't know what's going to happen to the church. You don't know what God has placed in your heart. You don't know what the community is longing for. I like to speak about the church in a metaphor. Sometimes understanding what the church is about is a little bit more difficult. But if we think of the church as a restaurant... When we go to a restaurant, our goal is what? We want to eat. We're hungry. We want to be filled with a meal. And so when we come to church, we are hungry. When we come to church, we want to be filled with something. Now, at a restaurant, we want a meal. We want to eat. We want our stomachs to be filled. There are Thousands of restaurants. In fact, Fenton is kind of silly with restaurants. We, have, we are kind of spoiled with the choices that we have in downtown Fenton. Um, there are just nine that you could walk to after church. And if you walk out here and you're packing up, say, a church at like 1130 in the, in the morning, and you're smelling all of the smells of the various restaurants, it gets you. you because you're, you desire food at that time. There are certain times when you're like, Oh, I didn't realize how hungry I was. Now, in a restaurant scenario, you can have your choice of what you want to eat. Maybe you want pizza. Maybe you want Italian food. Maybe you want Mexican. Maybe you want um, Italian, because I love Italian, so I say it twice. Maybe you want uh, Saganos. Maybe you want some sandwiches. Maybe you want brunch. Maybe you want... There's lots and lots and lots of choices. Now, at each of those restaurants, each restaurant kind of prepares a meal differently. Tacos from Taco Bell are going to be different than tacos from Zolo. Um, so uh, a pizza from Fenton House is going to be different than a pizza from Chow. So each restaurant, though you can get the same food, they prepare it in just a little bit of a different way. And so sometimes you can come away with a different feeling in your stomach, right? Like, oh, that was so good. That was so delicious. I wish that I uh, could go back there every day and eat, but it's too expensive. Or you might um, cram a couple of Taco Bell down your throat and you'll say, why did I just do that? That was the dumbest thing I've done in months. And so there are different feelings as you come away from 
those things. And some restaurants, there's an experience, there's a mood, there's an atmosphere. You, you understand the, the reason that you're here. Everyone's here because they, they want to dine together and they, they want to they feel the, the, the warmth, the glow of the atmosphere. And some people are just like, hook me up to the feed bag. I need this in my body as quickly as possible. And so they get you through the line as quickly as possible and you consume it quickly and then you're on your way. Now, there are some experiences at restaurants that leave us scratching our head. Like I, the bread was bad, it was stale. I, the, the food was cold when it came out here. That just didn't work for me. Or there are other experiences, and we've said this before, that leave you wanting more, that fill you with a desire for more good food. And then you leave the restaurant and you say to the people around you, you have got to try this restaurant. It's the best food I've ever eaten in my life. See, the church is exactly the same. There are different churches for different people. And some churches prepare the, the meals with really important ingredients, big ingredients. They want you to feel welcome. They want you to enjoy the time that you're here. They want you to enjoy the atmosphere and the experience and to know that when you're here, you're family. That's a restaurant slogan. But there are some churches that say, you know what, we don't want to go that deep. We don't want a really huge meal because I think what people are in the mood for is something that's quick and easy. And they want to be on their way because they have more important things to do with their time. And so in every church, there are meals that you want to make, but there are always ingredients that go into the meal. And so through this series, what I get to do is I kind of get to walk you through Hyphen's desire for good food, high quality ingredients, a great experience that you want to tell your friends about, not because the church is so great, but because the food is great. Because when you come here, what we put on the plate is not more of ourselves. What we want to put on the plate is more of Jesus. And so when you walk away from here, I don't want you to say, that pastor is so great, he's so funny and charming and we love him so much, or the worship is so great. I want you to say, Jesus is so amazing and I have to share him with everyone. Here are the things that I got out of church today and I want you to have them. I'm not full yet. I could go back next week and eat again. In fact, why wait for next week? So I get to walk us through a little bit about what hyphen is about. And we're going to do it all in the, the sort of mesh network of this series called Deep Trouble. And Deep Trouble works on a couple of different levels, and I hope that that will be revealed to you through this series as we're talking about what it means to be in deep trouble, but also what it means to cause deep trouble. And so part of our vision, our vision is understanding what it is that we're about. 
we're dreaming in a vision series. Every church has the same purpose, just like every restaurant has the same purpose, to feed people. The purpose of a church is to proclaim God, to reach the lost, and to bring good news to people that need it. Just as Jesus said in Luke 4, just as Isaiah revealed to the people of Israel that Jesus read in Luke 4. The same thing has been happening throughout the millennia. That's the purpose of a church. We're not talking about purpose. We know our purpose. To practice the presence of Jesus for the sake of our neighbors. That's our purpose. That's our mission statement as a church. Now we're going to launch vision. What does it mean to dream? How are we going to accomplish those things? What's it going to feel like inside the church as we do those things? And so we're talking about meals and we're talking about uh, how we want to prepare those things. We're not talking about ingredients. Ingredients are high quality stuff that we use to do those things. Like our services, our gatherings are based on four main pillars. Every time we read the word, I open the word every single week. We will not compromise on that. We want you to be in the word. And so we show you how to be in the word. And in that same way, we preach from the word. And then there are prayers. We want you to pray in your life. So we will pray with you here to show you and help you. And then we will have music. We want you to have music and joy and praise in your life. So we do that here to show you. And then we come to the table together every week. And some people say, well, doesn't that get routine? Doesn't that get boring when we have communion every week? You have lunch every day. Does that get boring for you? We believe that the high point, the only point that we can not be compromised on is communion. That's the one thing that the church and Acts gathered to do weekly. Share the table, the blood and the bread. So there are some churches, and it's not wrong. They can do it the way they want to. They will do it once a quarter. They'll do it the first Sunday of the month. They will do it um, twice a year. We choose to do it every week because we believe that that is a great reminder and a great recognition of everything that we're doing here in Jesus' name. So those four pillars the word, prayer, music, and the table. We want you to do those things in your own life. Invite people into the table. Praise every day. Read the word. Listen to the word. And we want you to do those things. And so we do them here together in a gathering as a family. And so those are the, the ingredients that we use to create the meals. And we want to talk about the meals in this series. So... Let's talk about the meals. This is going to be an overview to the whole week or the whole series. And we're going to do this for about five weeks. And we're just going to talk through what it looks like to be a church. We're going to talk through what it means for us to have an impact. It's going to look like what does it feel like? What motivates us to cause deep trouble with the people around us? We're going to look each week at the same passage. I'm not going to read it every week, but we'll, we'll be in bits and pieces of it. But we're going to be in Acts 17, verses 1 through 9. 
And this is where this all comes from. And we're going to read it, and we're going to talk about what this means and all those things that it looks like. So it says this, After Paul and Silas had passed through Amphipolis and Amapolina, and they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days argued with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this is the Messiah, Jesus, whom I have proclaimed to you. Now some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews became jealous, and with the help of some ruffians in the marketplaces, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. While they were searching for Paul and Silas to bring them out of the assembly, they attacked Jason's house. When they could not find him, they dragged Jason and some believers before the city authorities, shouting, These people who have been turning the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has entertained them as guests. They are all acting contrary to the decrees of the emperor, saying that there is another king named Jesus. The people in the cities, city officials were disturbed when they heard this. And, and after they had taken bail from Jason and the others, they let them go. This is turning the world upside down. Paul and Silas were known they had a reputation of turning the world upside down. Now, they were in the city of Thessalonica. You might also know it as Thessalonica. They had spent about three weeks there. It said he'd, he had been preaching in the synagogue for about three Sabbaths. So he'd only been there about three weeks as he was um, preaching the word of Jesus. They were telling people in the city about Jesus and who he was and his good news and why he had come. And it says right in the text, some people believed. Some people were persuaded by what Paul had said. Now, I think sometimes we get a little bristly about that word persuaded. I think sometimes we feel like, oh, I shouldn't have to persuade people to become Christians. I shouldn't have to persuade them to think something and feel something about Jesus. But this is the Greek word. This is what they were doing. They were persuading them. They were urging them very strongly in the ways of Jesus and what he was doing. But some of the Jews that were there got very jealous of this teaching. They, they, they kind of, um, they heard that and they were very upset at what that was going on. And so they decided that they were going to teach Paul and Silas a little bit of a lesson. And what better lesson than to throw someone in jail, you know? That's a great place for you to cool off and really think about what you're doing. We call it time out when you're young, but it's also Jail is a good place to do those things. They were looking to beat some sense into them, really. And just like they lifted the stones against Jesus in Luke 4, they were looking to beat these people because the message that they had brought was counter to everything that they had said. But they couldn't find Paul or Silas. Just like Jesus had slipped from the crowd, they went to go find Paul and Silas, and they were not where they were supposed to be. So instead, they found Jason. Now, Jason doesn't sound like a biblical name. It's like they found Brad or Kevin. But Jason is here. And poor Jason, man, he's just trying to be a good roommate to these guys. 
He's just like super chill with everything. And if you leave dirty dishes in the sink, I'm cool with that. You know, I'll clean up after you. It's cool. And then he hears a knock on the door. And then there's some angry people there that want his roommates, the people that he's harboring in the city. Like, we need a place to crash, Jason. And he's like, you're not troublemakers, are you? He didn't say that. He didn't get a particular reference from them. No, he's there and he has to take the brunt of this. So they take Jason down to the local courthouse and they make their case. And these words that they use, it gets me every time that I read this passage. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. What a statement to make about two people who follow Jesus. What a statement to make about anyone who follows Jesus. Paul and Silas have earned this reputation. Word of their accomplishment has actually beaten them to the town that they were in. The people against them knew that they faced worthy foes, and that's why they had to act as quickly as they did. That's why they had to bring a lot of people to the door. They were probably frightened by what Paul and Silas had been doing. The rumors were that they had been causing trouble. They had been disturbing the city. They were turning things upside down. And if you were living in a city much like this city, and you had heard that there were people that were coming to you to cause trouble in this city, you would be scared. You would do the same exact thing. You would try and search for them and say, hey, 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 we don't do that here. This is a good law abiding town. We're peacemakers here. Just cool yourself. You take that over to Linden where they do that kind of stuff. Just kidding. Maybe. But these men turn the world upside down wherever they go. Just an appearance from Paul and Silas had shook them up. It rocked their town. They knew what an appearance by Paul and Silas meant. Thessalonica was going to be turned upside down. Why would we want that? Why would we want our world turned upside down? What incredible words to be said about followers of Jesus. And so reading this always brings up these questions for me. And these are the four questions that we're going to be looking at through the rest of our series. Paul and Silas turned their world upside down. And so here... Here is this reputation of no longer being the same because they've been there. They were, they were doing some things right. Here's the first question. Are we a threat to turn the world upside down? Do we have what it takes to make a difference in our world? Is Jesus important enough to us that we will stop at nothing to see that he is lifted up? This is the first question that guides the things that we do at Hyphen. Our big dream, our big vision of what it means. Are we a threat to turn our world upside down? And let's not even go to the world yet. Are we a threat to turn our city upside down? Now, a lot of these questions, the answers will be no. And that's good. Because vision is something you can never actually get to. Vision is what drives us. Because if we then say, 
Our city has been turned upside down. Good, the church is done. We've accomplished it. Let me ask you this question. How many of you people, by showing your hands, how many people have someone in their lives who are not a follower of Jesus? Good. Hyphen Church will stop existing when those hands are down. When the people at the other end of those hands have made a commitment to Christ. Are we a threat to turn their world upside down? Let's not even go world. Let's not even go city. Are we a threat to turn someone's life upside down? Question two. Are people of our community talking about our impact? The answer is no. We know that. But this is vision. We're casting out and we're saying, can we get to a place where the community begins to talk about our impact? Does our community see that we're bringing change? Is our community different because we exist? That's question two. Are people talking about our impact? Question three, are we doing anything that will disturb our community? Are we shaking up those who have no use for Jesus? Are we doing anything that causes people to be disturbed by our presence? These are the questions we want to ask. That was number three. Hyphen is a, is a church who wants to reach people who have no use for Jesus. Are we a threat to reach them? Are we doing anything to disturb those people at the other end of our hands? Question four, is our presence leading people to make eternal decisions? Are we leading people to make Jesus their king? Four big questions that we are going to look at through this series. Four things that we want to launch into and say, I know it's not a yes yet, but how are we working to get to those things? I think we are making a difference. There are people in this room. There are people that have searched for us online. We are making an impact and a difference. We have impacted nonprofit organizations. Each month we donate 10% of what we get to the community. We ask you to donate 10%, so we donate 10% as well. And so area charities have received things from us, have received money because we exist in this community and we want to help people do those things. So how can we become people who turn the world upside down? I don't have my own answer, but I believe we can find the answer in the Bible. So since Paul and Silas were the ones said to be turning the world upside down, let's see what the Bible says about their actions. Let's follow their trail as they headed to Thessaloniki. Let's see if we can find their trip, in their trip, how they earned their reputation of turning the world upside down. In Acts chapter 15, we'll go back a couple of chapters. And in verse 40, it says, while Paul chose Silas as his companion, the believers in Antioch commissioned him for this work, entrusting him to the grace of the Lord. They traveled through Syria and Sicilia to strengthen the churches there. When Paul reached Derbe and Lystra, 
he invited a disciple named Timothy to join him and Silas. Timothy had a good reputation among the believers in Lystra and Iconium, but there was a problem. Although Timothy's mother was a believing Jew, his father was Greek, which means Timothy was uncircumcised. Because the Jewish people of those cities knew he was the son of a Greek man, Paul felt it would be best for Timothy to be circumcised before proceeding. Leaving there, now accompanied by Timothy, they delivered to the churches in each town the decisions and instructions given by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. The churches were strengthened in the faith by their visit and kept growing in numbers on a daily basis. They left what this is called Paul's second missionary journey. They picked up Timothy, who was actually probably still a teenager, and they went to churches that they had previously planted, and they encouraged and they strengthened everyone in those places. So here's one way that they turned the world upside down. They got everyone involved. They had a teenager with them, a Greek teenager, in fact. And they had people in all their church plants excited and encouraged. Everyone had their hand in turning the world upside down. If we're going to turn the world upside down, we need to involve everyone. There's no one in this room that God won't use to shake our community. There's no one in this room that God won't shake, use to shake the lives of the people around us. If you are 85, you need to be actively involved in lifting up Jesus wherever you are. If you are 10, you need to be actively involved in lifting up Jesus wherever you are. If you don't believe that God will actively use you to make an impact in the world around you, don't come to church. Because these are the expectations of churchgoers. That I am here and God will use me. And God will use me to use the church. And if you're here and you don't believe that God can use you because of where you've come from or the bad things that you've done or you just don't pray enough or do enough or say enough or you're too shy, why bother? Why make church a priority? Why make Jesus a priority if you don't believe that you will be used by him? There are no limitations on you. We just finished Romans 8. I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nothing can keep us from the love of God. There are no limitations on God's love. There are no limitations on how God will use us. And as a quick side note, there are churches who say that the only people that can serve in a church are male. Hyphen does not believe that. We read the scriptures and we don't see the evidence that women are limited in their roles in the church. We honestly believe that there are no limitations on who you are, gender included. Age and gender are no limitations. Go be who God created you to be. I can't reach everyone. I'm not supposed to reach everyone. Because there are gifts that you have. There are people that you know. There are places that God has placed you in your life. And he hasn't placed me. And so if you believe that you are in the right spot. And that God is using you in the spot that you're in. 
welcome it, use it, and pray, God, how are you using me here? Get involved in what Jesus is doing around you. To turn this world and this community upside down, we need you to be involved. And you're looking at the church and you're saying, well, you know what? Hyphen's great. I enjoy going there. But it doesn't have a Bible study. It doesn't have small groups. They don't do enough of this. They don't do enough of that. Good. Because you're feeling the Spirit move in you. You're feeling something dwell up in you. You're feeling a hunger. So how can you now get involved? What are you going to do about it? Jesus says to his disciples, these people are hungry. They've been here all day. You've been preaching so long. What can we do for them? Why don't you go get them some food or make some food there with your little hand thing that you do? And Jesus looks right at him and says, what are you going to do about it? Okay, so Pastor Chris, I love this church. It's going great. I, I, I think that the music's great and sometimes the preaching is good. But you know what would be even better if we had this or this or this? Great. I'm so glad God has put you here. And I'm so glad he's put that on your heart. What are you going to do about it? Because I can't do it all. God hasn't gifted me to do it all. I started this by saying I have ADHD. That's what God gifted me with. It's my superpower. So we have to all be involved. Continuing on in chapter 16, it says, They sensed the Holy Spirit telling them not to preach their message in Asia at this time. So they traveled to Phrygia and Galatia, and they came to Mycenae and planned to go in Bithynia. But again, they just felt restrained from not doing so by the Spirit of Jesus. So they bypassed Mysia and they went down to Troas. That night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was pleading to him. Come over to Macedonia. Come help us. And this vision convinced us all that God was calling us to bring the good news to that region. I know this sounds strange, but I get a little bit of satisfaction from Paul's confusion. Paul is this great man who wrote half of the New Testament in letters, and he's confused about where he should go next. He's confused about where he should plant the next church. Paul wasn't sure where to go. There were a lot of cities and towns left in the area. All the cities on the southwest coast, Ephesus and Colossae, you may have heard of those, but God wanted him to go somewhere else. And in this, we can find another way to turn our world upside down. Follow God even when it doesn't make sense. Paul and Silas would eventually get to Ephesus and that area, but it just wasn't God's timing yet. Sometimes we have to follow God's path instead of our own. And it's true. This church is not easy. It's not an easy thing to do to plant a church from scratch. The easy thing would have been to go and get a job as a pastor of an established church and have a congregation of 150 and then have everyone say, oh, you're doing a great job. And then it's just stagnant. And God said, you're not going to go to those regions. I want you to plant a church here and do it in this way. And it's going to be hard. And it's going to be extremely hard. And people aren't going to like it from time to time. And they're not going to like you. And that's okay. And for you, 
God led you here to hyphen. Somehow you you heard about it or, or saw us or participated in something that led you here. And God said, it's going to be difficult. It's going to look strange. It's not going to look like a church that you normally go to. And yes, it would be easier to go to a church that has a lot of people and you can blend in or has a lot of activities that you can do to fill your time with. But I want you here at this church because we're building something for this community. There are times when we think we know what's best, like we've got it all figured out, like God is there and he's present and that's great. Then God seems to be going in a totally different direction. It just doesn't make sense sometimes. But to turn the world upside down, we have to follow God. We can't follow ourselves, even when it doesn't make sense. And we have to be willing to give up our ambitions sometimes for the plan of God. And eventually, Paul and Silas end up in a jail in Philippi. It says in verse 23, they were flogged mercilessly and they were thrown into a prison cell. The jailer was ordered to keep them under the strictest supervision. The jailer complied, first restraining them in ankle chains, then locking them in the most secure cell in the center of the jail. Not exactly what you would expect from men turning the world upside down. Don't you think that they might make you wonder if you had even really followed God? Like, God, I followed you and I landed right here in this jail cell. After all, God, wouldn't you want, wouldn't you want us to end up somewhere where we were comfortable, where it was easy to proclaim your word? But Paul and Silas sat in jail, praying and singing hymns, and an earthquake shook the jail and the doors swung open and their shackles fell off. The jailer was going to kill himself because in Roman society, if you fail on your guard duty, you have to kill yourself. But Paul and Silas stopped him, and then this amazing thing happens. He falls on his knees before them, trembling, and then he brings them outside. And the jailer says, gentlemen, please tell me, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas says, just believe. Believe in the ultimate king, Jesus. And not only will you be rescued, but your whole household will as well. What did Paul and Silas do that led them to turning the world upside down? They looked for opportunity in every situation. They were in jail, but I guess they figured God could use them just as well out of jail as in jail. But we need to look for every opportunity, every situation, work, school, neighborhood. It might not be our ideal situation. It might make us uncomfortable. It might make us feel a little bit disturbed. But God is speaking to us through those situations. There's one last thing I think that we need to see. Let me read to you verses 6 and 7 again from chapter 17. Seeing this movement growing, the unconvinced Jewish people became protective and angry. They found some ruffians hanging out in the marketplace and convinced them to start a riot. Soon a mob formed and the whole city was seething with tension. The mob was going street by street looking for Paul and Silas who were nowhere to be found. Frustrated when the mob came to the house of a man named Jason, Now known as a believer, they grabbed him and some other believers they found there and dragged them to the city officials. These people, they're political agitators turning the world upside down. They've come to here to our fine city 
And this man, Jason, has given them sanctuary and made his house a base for their operations. We want to expose their real intent. They're trying to overturn Caesar's sensible decrees. They're saying that Jesus is king, not Caesar. And so the people wanting to grab Paul and Silas knew what they were up to. They were doing something totally opposite from the religion of the day. There was no elaborate ceremonies or rituals. Even their enemies knew what the message was. They were saying there is another king, Jesus. And so we see this one last thing that helped them turn the world upside down. They kept the message simple. Their message was all Jesus all the time. If we're going to turn the world upside down, we need one message. When we complicate things, it gets a lot harder for us to share. There is one king, Jesus. There is one who delivers, Jesus. We need to speak that message. We need to live that message. And we can turn the world upside down with that one very simple thing, that Jesus is king and he can be king in your life as well.